Americans have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Hello and welcome back to the second edition of the Tough Buckets podcast hosted by me, Jake Unger. Today is Tuesday, October 18th, and that marks a very special day for basketball fans. Uh, The official start of NBA regular season is today at 6.30. The Warriors play the Lakers tonight in the later game, and then I think at 6.30 it's the Celtics versus 76ers. So right after recording this, I'll be up to watch that, and I couldn't be more excited to have NBA basketball back. Before we get into some of the things we want to talk about today, I'd like to wish one of our co-hosts a happy late birthday. Uh, It's the old man's birthday last week. Uh, I think he turned, what, 75 last week? (laughs) What was it? Come on, man. I'm I'm not that old yet. I mean, no, uh, when you get to be as, yeah, when you get to be as old as I am, birthdays, uh, you tend to just kind of want to forget the birthday and pretend like it didn't happen. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, uh, 49 uh, years old as of the 13th of October. So yeah, yeah, I'm nearing the uh, half century mark, which is, uh, which is scary to say, that's for sure. The real question is, is LeBron going to be playing basketball when he's your age? That's kind of what we're waiting on now. Man, to think that he would be able to do something like that the way I felt when I got out of bed this morning. I <laughs> I just don't know how that would be possible. But if anyone could do it, you know, that guy, I mean, he would be the one uh, that, I would, uh, that I would pick as far as somebody who would be able to play, you know, when they're 50. I mean, Brady's 45, and he's still going out there every day uh, taking hits uh, from D linemen. Not so. on Wednesdays, though. No, no, not on He gets Wednesdays. Wednesdays off. Yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> he does. And our other host is down in Waco, Texas. Uh, how you doing, Sam Kavan? Down in Texas, can't complain. Um, I mean, a little bit can't complain about how Baylor's football team has been playing, but that's okay. We're a basketball school now. Um, at least that's what I'm going to cling to. So only uh, NBA starts tonight, obviously. Uh, Baylor's first game is November 7th, I think. So only a more... Uh, another few weeks off yeah i was gonna ask i i you know i it's sneaking up college basketball sneaking up on us too i I saw the ap uh polls were out and uh you know no surprise to see north carolina you know at the top they return a lot of a lot of really good players and but one thing that i did see that was mildly surprising was they had creighton in the top 10 and i mean i know oh did they really yeah yeah they i think they had them at nine so I mean that's uh, that's pretty impressive for you know a Jesuit school in Omaha to be uh, preseason number nine. I mean they obviously have had success in the past, but you know there's obviously some high expectations uh, this year for the Blue Jays for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I don't uh, follow Nebraska basketball too much, but y'all think this is the first year that they get a NCAA tournament win or? <laughs> I hope so, man. I mean, I'm planning on going to a lot of Nebraska basketball games this year and maybe covering a few of them for the podcast. Dude, they, they had to legalize the sale of alcohol at Pinnacle Bank Arena for the Husker games just so people would be able to sit through the game. 
I mean, honestly, <laughs> Sam, they are so bad. They, I mean, they are so bad. I think I saw somewhere where somebody was predicting their win total, and I think they had it set at 12. So, which would be 12 wow. yeah. out of like yeah, a 30, which, 35 game season. Wow. Yeah. Which would be two more than they won last year. So, I mean, I guess if you're looking wow. at it, that would be an improvement, but yeah, coach Hoiberg, he's got his, uh, he's got his work cut out for, uh, cut out for him because that is, I went and looked through their roster and man, it, it is not a very good roster. So we're going to find out here in uh, three weeks, uh, when they tip the season off, but I don't know. I don't think the expectations are very high in Lincoln this year. Probably not. Um, I, that game, that Creighton-Nebraska game, I'm assuming they're playing again this year because I think they do every year. That might be a massacre yeah. uh, this year, but yeah. we'll see. We'll have to see how that one turns out for sure. And I can't imagine our, ba our Husker basketball team can be much worse than our football team, but that's a whole other discussion for another day. The team that I want to start off talking about today is the Golden State Warriors. And since the last time we recorded this podcast, uh, it was before the Draymond Green, Jordan Poole incident happened. So we've been waiting a while to talk about it. Uh, the video from the Warriors practice facility leaked and it showed a pretty crazy video of Draymond getting up in Jordan Poole's face. Jordan Poole pushes him and then the next thing you know, Draymond Green is throwing a right hook at Jordan Poole, who is also, I have to mention, he's also five inches shorter and probably like 80 pounds uh, lighter than Draymond Green. So I don't, I don't know if an altercation like that has ever happened with uh, the differential of size with players like that. So the last time we saw something like this was when, I don't know if you guys remember this, but is when Bobby Portis and Nikola Mirotic played on the Bulls and, Mirotic, and uh, Nic or Bobby Portis broke Nikola Mirotic's jaw in a practice. So... And he, he faced, uh, I think, a 10-game suspension and a fine for that. And he tweeted uh, after the Draymond Green incident, he said, it's cool when they do it, but it's a problem when I do it. It's cool when they do it. It's a problem when I do it. Fuck them, fuck So I thought that was really funny. But I kind of want to get your take on the video, Sam. I'm sure you've seen it. I think we've sent it back and forth and talked about it before. But what's your take on the video and uh, Draymond Green and Jordan Poole's relationship going into the season? Oh, absolutely. I love being able to see uh, the video of that. I wish they could have also released an audio, but it was probably too much to ask to get the video in the first place. Man, it looked like that wasn't face-to-face -face for a long time. Then someone swings. It was a Draymond got in his face, little shove, and a Superman punch. I, that escalated fast. Um, you know, jokes all over the internet about they're arguing about who's going to get the bigger contract extension, blah, blah. I just Draymond as a as a leader of that team and that's how probably he's selling himself to them he, he's made it clear this summer that he wants a max contract extension uh, his contract runs out this year but he has a player option for next year and I believe after that he wants a max extension and I'm sure a big selling point for him is the leadership and character he brings to the team and he has played that role through their dynasty their four championships and six finals appearances doesn't reflect your leadership very well if you're sucker punching your 23 year old young star over what seemed to be not a very big altercation so hopefully the Warriors can gel together move on from this it's a long season the playoffs are about six months out so they have a lot of time to 
put everything back together. But for Draymond, a guy who's selling himself on his leadership and the intangibles he brings to the court, to want that max extension, especially with the contracts that Poole and Wiggins have just signed over the last week with the Warriors, not looking very good for Draymond's chances of that uh, max extension. I don't know if it ever was, but definitely not looking good now. Not at all. And we were having a conversation last night in our group chat about the Warriors payroll specifically and their luxury tax bill. And I thought that I don't, I'm pretty sure this is the first time any team's luxury tax bill exceeds the amount uh, of their actual payroll. Can you kind of break that down, Sam? You were explaining that last night, but I, you broke the news to me that their luxury bill is going to be more expensive than their actual roster. So how, how exactly does that, does that work out? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not a luxury tax, how it works for the NBA expert, but I know that for every, you know, if you exceed the salary cap, you have to pay a luxury tax on it. And it's a multiplier that increases with every 5 million you go over, I believe. There's some uh, marker in there where you're $10 million over, you pay just one times the amount you're over. You're $20 million over on the next $10 million, you pay a higher rate, higher rate, and it just keeps adding up. Also, it's worse for repeat offenders, and the Warriors have been over the salary cap for a few years now, I believe. Uh, they definitely are this season. Um, looking at it right now, they're about $60 million over the salary cap for this year. And it's going to be even larger next year. So they're a repeat offender, and it compounds as the more money comes in, increased multiplier. So the higher it gets, it's kind of an exponential growth deal. It, I mean, you have... I'm looking at basketball reference right now, contracts they have, and assuming Draymond accepts his $27.5 million player option next year with the contracts that Wiggins and Poole just signed, adding another roughly $55 million per year, that puts the Warriors at $215 million-ish next year when the salary cap is only going to be about $125 million. So they're approaching the range of doubling that which is going to be a brutal luxury tax bill. I, and they better hope they make it far in the playoffs this year and really bring in some revenue, a lot of sellout crowds. Otherwise, that owner is going to be shedding cash. So we'll see how this plays out for them. Um, again, not looking great for Draymond and his uh, wanted max extension. Mm -hmm. And one thing I will add to that, I think the extension that they gave to Andrew Wiggins was pretty fair. I think he signed, He previously signed a pretty big contract early in his career, so I think that uh, they kind of met in the middle here. And I think uh, an average salary of $27 million or, or whatever it is, I think it over the next four years is pretty good for a player like Andrew Wiggins, and I think he's going to age well into that contract. Uh, Jordan Poole signed a four-year deal, I think, and uh, that's going to be worth $35 million at the end of his contract in 2026. So yeah, this is a very expensive team, and I've heard... It's not official reports, but a lot of analysts and reporters are speculating on a rule change this summer that will definitely benefit the Warriors when it comes to that luxury tax bill. Uh, so teams that draft players and then give them max contracts that go over the luxury tax uh, limit are going to be taxed less per dollar when they're paying a max contract to a player that they drafted. And that goes for Steph, Clay, Draymond, James Wiseman, uh, Kaminga, Jordan Poole, obviously. So they're going to, if that rule change does go through, I can see that helping them a lot. But honestly, I don't think there's ever been any hesitation to pay their players uh, from the front office and from an ownership level. I think that they're going to do whatever they have to do to keep winning championships. 
So my question for you, Jason, is where do you see this team going uh, in light of this Draymond and Jordan Poole incident? Do you think their regular season is going to be affected? Do you think that you're, they're going to find themselves in a top three seed? Uh, what's your projection for this team? Yeah, I, I don't see this affecting uh, the Warriors. I mean, I think it's a situation where you know what you get from Draymond. I mean, I, I, I can't say that I'm surprised that that incident happened. Is it a bad look? Yeah, it's, it's a really bad look. I mean, it, it doesn't look good. And like Sam said, I mean, you don't want to sucker punch a guy you just gave a huge bag of money to. So, I mean, I, it doesn't look good, but ultimately, I, I mean, I think there's enough veterans on this team uh, between Steph and, and uh, Iguodala and Clay Thompson and Draymond's obviously a veteran and should probably know better. But, I mean, they're going to pull things together. They're going to be the favorite to come out of the West again, in my uh, opinion, although I do have a take on that for a little bit later in the show on someone, on a team who I feel is going to challenge them uh, for that top spot. But, you know, and I, I do agree with Sam as well. I mean, sooner or later... It's going to get old with Draymond, and, and I mean, you have to ask yourself, is his leadership, is his toughness, is his play on the defensive end, is it worth all of this stuff that you have to go through with him? It kind of reminds me of Terrell Owens uh, in his time with the Cowboys. Was he a talented player? Yeah, he was obviously one of the top uh, WRs in the NFL at that time, but I mean his antics just wore on the team. And ultimately, no matter what your production is on the field, the effects that you have off of it, sometimes it's just not worth it. And they ultimately decided, you know, to cut ties uh, with Terrell Owens. And, you know, you wonder if there's going to be a point where Golden State kind of feels the same way about uh, Draymond. So, We'll see what happens, but do I think it will affect them as we uh, get the season started off tonight? I would say my answer is no. Yeah, and my final thoughts on the whole Draymond Green contract situation and whether or not he's going to end up on this roster next year is, look, it kind of comes down to his shot-making ability and his defensive performance. I think the defense will be there. He's going to make great rotations. He's going to be a great team defender like he is every year. But if he's not knocking down open jumpers, if he's still, his attitude isn't great, if he's not doing his part uh, in trying to win a championship with this team, I mean, I can't see him turning down that player option for $27 million next year. But if the Warriors don't want to keep him around long term, I wouldn't blame them. And I don't see him really fitting in with another team in the league. I think he was specifically designed to play next to Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. It's, it's the perfect fit there. So really, it's kind of 50-50 whether or not uh, he ends up on this team in a couple years, but yeah, like I said, it comes down to that jump shot his shot making ability uh, If he's just isn't as good as he I mean, yeah, he, he struggled last year mightily during the regular season and down the stretch in the playoffs Especially in the finals when he got benched for a couple games So if he's still if he's not playing at the elite level that we've seen Draymond play at over the last few years Then I I can see the Warriors just saying hey, it's been a nice run, but we're not gonna pay you anymore Something you mentioned, Jason, there's a team in the West that is going to challenge the Warriors for that top spot, and I think I know who you're referring to. Were you talking about the Los Angeles Clippers? 
Yes, yes, I am. I, I am probably as high on the LA Clippers this year as anybody. I mean, we talked even last year before the season started about how good this team is going to be once they can get uh, a healthy Kawhi and a healthy PG and just kind of get all of these pieces finally put together uh, and get everybody healthy and get everybody on the court at the same time. I mean, it's been not been since 2020. I mean, we're talking bubble time when we actually got to see the Clippers uh, at full strength. And I just think uh, we can get uh, Kawhi back to full strength. We can get uh, Paul George back to full strength. And when you look at that roster, I mean, to me, it's one of the top rosters in the NBA. I mean, you've got Kawhi and Paul George. You've got a veteran, Marcus Morris, who's a really good shooter. You've got Reggie Jackson, who, if you remember, a couple of years ago in the playoffs uh, was dominant at times. I mean, I kind of remember. I think he averaged like 20 in the 2020 uh, playoffs. Right, right. And there were a couple games when he went off, you know, for 30, 40 points even in a couple of games. So, I mean, he's a guy that's kind of come into his own, another veteran. And I mean, that's the thing I like about this team is you have veteran dudes who've been in the playoff battles and who have been in the wars and kind of know how to win. And you have a championship coach in Ty Lu. And then the other thing that stands out to me when I was going through their roster, here's the guys you have coming off the bench. You have Terrence Mann, who Jake, you know, I- I'm really high on. I mean, I think that guy... Yeah, he's one of my favorite role players. Yeah, that guy is going to be a really good NBA player. You got Norman Powell, a guy who they brought in from the Blazers last year, a three-point sniper, a really good shooter. He played really well in just a small sample before he ended up getting hurt and missing the last part of last season as well. You got the veteran Nick Batum, uh, 6'9", long guy that can really uh, bring defensive intensity off the bench, a really good defensive player. You got Robert Covington and Luke Kennard. And I mean, those two guys shoot 45% uh, from beyond the uh, three-point line last year. So, and I haven't even talked about John Wall. I mean, he's going to be the kind of the wild card in this whole situation. I, you ne- I mean, you don't know what you're going to get from him, obviously, but he's another guy who's got playoff experience, a veteran. I mean, you go up and down this roster and you've got guys with 9, 10, 11, 12, 14 years of NBA experience, and you have a bunch of winners put together. So the biggest question mark on how far they go in my mind is can we keep everybody healthy? I mean, obviously Kawhi's coming off a bad injury. Uh, Paul George has had a string of injuries. He hasn't been able to play a full season in a couple of years. But I'm telling you, if you can keep this roster healthy and they're full guns come playoff time, I really like their chances. And I could, you know, I could see them coming out of the West. I mean, uh, I looked earlier and they're about the same odds to win the NBA championship as the Warriors. They were both pretty even. So Vegas obviously feels pretty good about this Clippers roster as well. I mean, you didn't even talk about Paul George and Kawhi in that. And I was getting excited hearing all those role players. I, I love teams that are really wing heavy. 
that can shoot the ball and play great wing defense, and a couple guys can switch on to post players depending on the matchup. But in my opinion, this team has a timer on it. I think it's this year, win or bust, because next year you're going to have Kawhi Leonard in his year 32-33. Paul George will be around 33-34, and everyone else on the roster is going to get older too. So I think it's this year or nothing for this team. And I really do like the odds of this team coming out of the West. I think Kawhi Leonard's probably going to rest on back-to-back, so I'm sure we'll see him play about 58 to 65 games this year uh, with load management. And I think Paul George will be in the same in the same boat. So we might not be able to see uh, this team in its full uh, power and its full capability until the playoffs when everyone is just playing consistently. And hopefully they can get everyone to the playoffs healthy. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, to me, in the preseason, he just looks bigger than he did last year. And not in like an out-of-shape way. His shoulders look broader. He's moving guys around. He kind of looks like the old Kawhi in preseason. And I know it's preseason. We can't take too much from it. But he's looking good, and I, I can see him having a great bounce-back season coming off that injury. And uh, so, Sam, where do you see this team going? Do you see? Do you think that it's realistic that they come out of the West, or do you have another team in mind? I think it's a very real option. In, in my opinion, barring any injuries, <clears throat> I would take him as my favorite to come out of the West. Obviously, we can't know that for sure. Uh, Kawhi hasn't played a NBA, a NBA regular season game in, what, 500 days, something like that? So we can't know for sure they're going to be injury-free. But you talked or you mentioned having very wing-heavy teams. And right now I'm thinking you throw together a 2K lineup, you can even run four wings and a guard. So you throw Reggie Jackson out there. Then you can have a Paul George, Kawhi, Marcus Morris, have Robert Covington kind of play a wing stretch five type deal. What team is going to find that either A, easy to score on, or B, easy to stop, specifically in the West. That is terrifying. That's terrifying. And the West does not have – you have a lot of great bigs in the West, but a prolific post-scorer, there's only one that I can think of, and correct me if I'm wrong, Nikola Jokic with the Nuggets. Exactly. That's a a team that – that's the only team in the West that I see personnel-wise giving the Nuggets – or sorry, giving the Clippers issues is the Nuggets solely because of Jokic, but – you look at, like, the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns, not a prolific inside scorer. Uh, we sure as hell know that Rudy Gobert isn't. I don't know if you saw that clip of him uh, playing in Europe this year, trying to post up Dennis Schroeder and then chucking the ball <laughs> off the backboard. I saw that. Great, yeah, great defender, great pick and roller. He's not going to burn you in the post, uh, and we know that. You look at the Warriors. A lot of great scorers on that team, a lot of great slashers. Kevon Looney is not going to – you know, give you buckets in the post like that. Same thing with the Suns. I don't know how much I trust DeAndre Ayton to do that. No team in the West matches up, like just beats them personnel-wise outside of possibly the Nuggets with Jokic. And then on the other end of the ball, though, we saw what the Warriors did to Jokic in the playoffs last year, making him run around, follow wings. If the Clippers can run a team with one guard, four wings, or two guards, three wings, they're going to tire him out, still maybe win that battle that's tougher there. I, I don't – I don't know. I think personnel-wise, they're the best team in the West. It's just can they stay healthy? And like you said, I think they also kind of have a ticking clock here. Might be this year, maybe next year, and then that could be it. Yeah, and this Clippers team has been coming together. I mean, they've been trying to put it together, a championship roster for the last three or four years now, and it's finally coming to fruition this year. And I think this could be the year they come out of the West, so we'll just have to see. We can move out East, a team that we wanted to talk about today, the Atlanta Hawks. 
The Atlanta Hawks made a couple moves this offseason. They traded Kevin Herter to the Kings. I'm not sure. I think they just got a draft pick back. I think they're just moving off some salary. But the big move was trading some first-round picks for DeJounte Murray to pair up next to Trey Young in the backcourt. I mean, he's a great defender. Not the best outside shooter, but he's a great playmaker and mid-range shot creator. And I, I really do like that addition. I mean, the Hawks were the fifth best offense in the league last year. Their defense was just atrocious, and that's a lot on Trey Young. Not that it's really his fault. He's just really small and can be taken advantage of a lot. But having DeJounte Murray on the team now mitigates the the lack of perimeter defense on the guard spot. So you can stick Trey on the on the off-ball guy on the other team, and DeJounte Murray can take on the heavier assignment. I do like what this team has. I'm still waiting on a John Collins trade, maybe. I, they've been talking about trading him for the last over a year now, I feel like. So I don't know if he'll be on the roster after the trade deadline. We'll see. If they're playing good, I, I can see them just keeping the squad together and rolling into the playoffs with it. But I don't think there's a team in the East, maybe besides the Cavaliers, that has a, a higher ceiling and a lower floor. I can see this team being a play-in team, and I could also see them being the three seed in the East, possibly. So what's your projection for this team, Jason? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, it's one of those teams where I was going through the roster and some of the changes that they made. Uh, over the uh, over the off season, and I was uh, uh, doing some plus minuses, and obviously bringing in Murray, that's a plus. Like you said, I see him playing off a of tray really well. I mean, he's a very unselfish player. I mean, he's a pass first guy. He was in San Antonio, and 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 with the kind of jumper he has, he he should be a pass first guy. Honestly, um, he hasn't quite developed that outside game. Uh, he, he's a pretty good mid-range guy as far as scoring in that 15 to 18 foot range, but he has not put together the three-point game that uh, that he's going to need uh, to put together to you know join that you know all-star caliber type uh, situation. So I think they're going to play really well off of each other. I, a guy that I'm really intrigued by is DeAndre Hunter. When he was in college, I remember watching him play. Uh, for Virginia, and he was I, I, the only guy that I can equate uh, to him defensively. A guy recently that I've seen in college would be uh, would be Sam's guy out of Baylor, Davion Mitchell. I mean, that guy obviously is a lockdown defender oh, yeah. too. But I remember when DeAndre Hunter was at Virginia. I mean, he would just literally lock guys down, and he's. He was he the best perimeter defender in that draft class, no question. For sure, for sure. And he, his body frame and just kind of the way he moves reminds me of a Kawhi. I mean, he's long, he's, he's, he's very strong. I mean, it just feels like it's, it's impossible to get around him. So I hope he can stay healthy. I mean, he's another guy who's had some injury problems. But if he can stay healthy, he's definitely going to be one of those top defensive wings in the NBA if not you know the top guy so he's going to be really good uh John Collins I, you know I can kind of take or leave him you know I, I I don't really have a great feeling about him it seems like like you said they kind of want to move off of him and bring uh someone else in to play that uh four spot so we'll kind of see how that develops over the year and then you got your boy Clint Capella you know who seems like he should be 40 years old but he's actually only 20 <laughs> he's he's only 28 so i mean he's not he he's not that old of a guy but i think his body 
uh, plays a lot older. It just seems like that, the la especially the last couple of years. It just seems like it's harder for him to get up and down the floor. And I agree with you, Jake. I think they should eventually shift more minutes to a Kongwu because I think that guy yep. is, is going to be a really good player. And when you pair him with Hunter, you got two really, really good defenders uh, for the Hawks. And I, my two questions for this team, one is if they do trade John Collins, I think they need to bring in a wing, like a small forward, and then slot DeAndre Hunter up to his more natural position at power forward. I think that would allow him to play more off ball. He wouldn't have to handle the ball so much, and that's an area where he really struggles, especially last year when they had the only ball hander on the team last year was Trey Young, so he was asked to do things that were more out of his comfort zone. But I think moving him off the ball, especially with the addition of DeJounte Murray is going to open up his game a little bit more. I've heard some good things in the offseason. I've heard he's gotten stronger and his jump shot's definitely coming along. And we, we know what he brings defensively, as you mentioned before. But my second question for this team is, if they're going to be a top five offense again, uh, and if they, if they want to move into that top three, it's all going to depend on Trey Young's off-ball ability. And... He's played his entire career in Atlanta, handling the ball 24/7, and that's not a bad thing because Trey Young, in him like alone, is a top five offense in the league. He dragged that team to a top five offense last year. So if they can maybe slot him, maybe put him into a shooting guard situation in a, like just throughout the game, not the whole game obviously, because you want to have the ball in Trey Young's hands. But if you can have him play off the ball and come off screens and have Dejounte Murray setting him up. I think that's going to open up a lot of things for not only just Trey Young, but like I said, the other shooters on this team are going to benefit from that. And it's not going to be as predictable. It's not just going to be high pick and rolls with Trey Young and, and a big. You know, it's going to the offense is going to look a lot different this year. Is my prediction. Do you see Trey Young playing off ball a little more? What do you think about that? That's the number one thing I had to say as well. We can say hypothetically, hypothetically, I do love adding Jante Murray, what he does for that offense, but. Will Trey Young be able to change his style of play? A lot of my opinions on the Hawks are based on that Hawks Heat series the last time we saw him, which might not be totally fair. But Trey Young in that one, I mean, that's that was such a hard series a, to watch. It was it was hard to watch. I mean, I loved it, but hopefully, well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, as a neutral NBA fan, that would have been terrible to watch. And hopefully, Trey Young kind of makes that his LeBron in 2011 against the Mavs series where. He, he never has a repeat performance in a playoff series like that again. But part of that also is because how easy the Hawks were to scheme against offensively. You just get the ball out of Trey Young's hands, make him uncomfortable, they fell apart. With DeJounte Murray, that should take some pressure off Trey Young, but also this is a guy who for four years, three or four years since whenever he got drafted, has just been doing whatever he wanted to do offensively with the ball. And it's worked for him so far until it didn't. And hopefully he can adjust to having DeJounte Murray there. It's easier said than done. A lot of long season, you know, 82 games before you get into the playoffs. So hopefully they're able to gel a little bit there. In Atlanta, I agree with what Jake said earlier, very high uh, ceiling, very low floor. Um, and then Jason, I loved you bringing up DeAndre Hunter, because as a Heat fan watching that series last year, that's the dude who – when he got going, that was scaring me more than Trey Young. A lot harder to defend when he's really rolling. At 6'8", you can't throw whoever you want on him and have a chance of staying in front of him. So a lot of what the Hawks are going to be able to do, maybe not necessarily in the regular season, but definitely in the postseason, 
is how much of a jump he can take. He averaged around 14 points a game last year. If they can get that up into the high teens and around 20 points a game, which might be tougher to do with Murray and Trey Young taking a lot of a lot of shots. Um, but that's that's the key I think for the Hawks is DeAndre Hunter's progression uh, as well as how well Trey Young can play with DeJounte Murray and vice versa. Well said. I think that about wraps it up for the Atlanta Hawks. I think we covered everything that I wanted to. Uh, I think we're about ready to get into some, uh, what was the chart you had, Sam? Uh, the the win totals? Yeah, so I was uh, on Instagram and Kurt Goldsberry, I follow him on Instagram. Awesome stuff. Good for- follow. Great follow for some analytical NBA breakdown stuff. Very interesting. He always posts efficiency charts uh, every week for the NFL. Also for the NBA, that's where he started. He just started the NFL stuff this season. Super interesting to look at. He posted a – it was Vegas's over-under win totals for every team. I hadn't seen that yet, so that kind of piqued my interest. And then I thought, I wonder how these projected wins compare to how the wins went uh, in the 2021-2022 season for these teams – and kind of threw together a little thing on Excel that just shows the difference, percent change from year to year. Looking at some of these projected 2023 wins, no surprise there. A lot of them make sense. You look at the year-over-year difference, some of them pop out just because they're kind of eye-popping. Some do just because you don't really expect it. Obviously, the Utah Jazz won 49 games last year. They're projected to win 25 this coming season. That Huge might be drop. generous. It might, and that might even be generous. Yeah, you might take the under on Jazz wins. Not giving betting advice, but uh, that could even be generous. It and that pops out huge compared to all these other teams when you chart them out. But obviously, it makes sense. They're they destroyed their whole team. They're in a rebuild, tanking for Wen Banyama, whatever they're doing. You know, Phoenix, uh, San Antonio, additionally supposed to lose eleven more games than they did last year, dropping from a thirty-four win. Uh, almost playing team. They didn't make the play in, did they? They were close. I think they they got. I think they fell out of playing contention like a week before the playoffs. Right, so I, I think the Pelicans just just edged them out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's so what happened. So in your playoff team in San Antonio, they traded Dejounte Murray. They're also kind of going in the rebuild. Only projected to win 23 games this year. Then you look at the Phoenix Suns, 11 game drop. Now they did kind of overperform last year. They're having some turmoil. Chris Paul's just you know. Being another year older isn't going to help them at this point. They're supposed to win 11 less games than they did last year, which is a little eye-popping. You can see it. If they performed the kind of team they should have been all the way through last year, but at least we're in the regular season, 53 might be a little low. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, teams that took big are supposed to take big leaps. LA Clippers, supposed to win 11 more games. Makes total sense with Kawhi being healthy, with them making some strong offseason moves. The LA Lakers, supposed to jump from, let's see if I can find it here, 33 wins all the way up to 46 wins, despite not making any super significant offseason moves that would bring in 13 wins. And I know the Patrick Lakers Beverly's worth 13 wins, huh? <laughs> yeah, apparently just Patrick Beverly. And I was wondering if I like what y'all think about the Lakers being projected to win that many more games. I know they were disappointing last year, but does that seem like a jump? Yeah, when Sam said that about the Lakers, I that just that that shocked me. I mean, I I just don't see a significant enough upgrade to that roster to merit you know that many more wins. I maybe 
maybe Vegas looks at it like it can't go as bad as it did for a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on it as it did last season. But boy, I don't know. I, I, I think tonight, I, I mean, it's crazy to think that game one of an 82 game season is really going to be a portent of things to come. But I was, I was listening to Zach Lowe today and he brought up a great, something that I didn't, didn't even think about. But he said, if you look back at this game last year, because they played in the first game last year, the first oh, game, yeah. the first game was a big enough disaster for the Lakers and Russ and everything to, to see that that's exactly how the season played out. The Warriors were organized. They looked like a championship team. The Lakers looked dysfunctional. It looked like a roster that just doesn't belong together. And that was game one. And it, like I said, it just carried out through the season. I mean, it only got worse. Yeah, it played out exactly like that first game. So like Zach Lowe said, hey, let's watch tonight. And if it goes like it did last year, boy, Lakers fan, they might be in for a long season again. I don't know. Yeah, and Sam, you said they were projected 46 wins this year in that uh, graph? Yeah, so their over-under was set at 45 and a half. 45 I and just half. rounded up to 46 okay. for purposes of this because I didn't like seeing all those half wins. Yeah. Dude, how are you supposed to win 46 games in an NBA regular season with your best shooter on the team being uh, arguably LeBron or Patrick Beverly? Like, that's the best three-point shooters on the roster. I mean... In the preseason, I think they shot like 26% from three. And I know, like I said, it's the preseason. A jump shot's a jump shot. Who is shooting the ball on this team? Who is LeBron kicking it out to when he drives to the basket? Russ? He's kicking out to Dennis Schroeder. Uh, was it Troy Brown they picked up? Like Lonnie Walker? None of those guys are three-point shooters. This is like the worst roster you could possibly put around LeBron James. Russell Westbrook is a terrible fit next to LeBron. And I think Russell Westbrook gets a lot of slack because... I can't think of a worse fit in the league for Russell Westbrook, to, uh, a team for Russell Westbrook to play on that's a worse fit. LeBron needs a ball in his hands. Russ needs a ball in his hands. And we saw that report where Darvin Ham is thinking about uh, starting uh, Russ as a six-man. And I think that will help out a little bit. It would make sense if they had shooters to put around Russ and LeBron in these units. But I, th- this roster is just such a mess, and it gives me a headache to even think about. Yeah, I, I don't... I. I just don't see it working. And when you look at regular season win totals, and I mean, you're at 46, you know LeBron and AD, Russ really doesn't take games off. I mean, he'll he'll play his normal 70 to 77 games, but, and maybe not so much LeBron. I mean, if he, if he can stay healthy, I mean, he's going after Kareem's uh, scoring record, which, you know, I believe... If he plays even in 60, 65 games, I think he's going to be able to get there and break that record this year. But you know th- those guys are going to get some time off. And and if you take AD or LeBron or, God forbid, both of them out of a regular season game, I mean, they have no chance. I mean, zero. I mean, the Spurs are going to run them out of the gym without <laughs> those two guys in the lineup. So seriously, that seems like an awfully high number to me. Yeah, and I was thinking maybe, oh, maybe their big 
like the Clippers, they didn't make any huge, huge. They made some good offseason moves, in my opinion, but not huge, huge moves. And a lot of their win jump is based off Kawhi going to be hopefully healthy this year. But can you assume, and the Lakers were obviously injured a lot last year, can you assume a, what, 38, soon to be turning 39-year-old LeBron is going to be healthy for, is going to be playing more than 70 games this year? Uh, Anthony Davis, I mean, maybe it's partly an unfair rap on some of those kind of unfavorable nicknames that have been made about him due to him (laughs) missing so many games. Data Davis, uh, whatever it be, whatever Charles Barkley calls him, but Street clothes. Can you assume? Yeah, street clothes. Can you assume he's gonna play more than sixty games in a year this season? I, it would be a damn near miraculous injury-free season for him to be playing more than sixty games. And say what you want about that putting them in the playoffs, but I, for a lineup like this, like y'all were saying, it looks disastrous on paper. They need every game they can get at full strength to try to make some kind of team chemistry, team bond, gel in some way. And with their injuries, I don't think they're really going to get a chance to do that. No, I agree. And the last thing I'll say about the Lakers is uh, I think I was just chilling on the couch the other day, and Sheldon pulls uh, pulls up a thing, a quote from AD, and it says that he plans on playing all 82 games. And he showed me that, and we just both busted out laughing. Come on. Yeah, that's I not mean, happening. Geez. No shot. No, no way. Uh, I guess one more thing about the Lakers. I think they're going to trade those two first-round picks they have. I think it would be a disgrace to LeBron and a betrayal of LeBron if they don't go out and try to at least add some shooting. At I mean, add anything to this roster, uh, frankly. So I, I, I think they're going to make a trade before the trade deadline. I don't know if that's going to involve Russ. I don't know if he's going to be on the team uh, a couple months into the season. Who knows? But I think they definitely need to go out and try to get maybe like the Buddy Heald, Miles Turner package if that's still on the table. I think that's the best trade they can get. And I know some people push back on that, but I don't know who, what better value you can get with just two first round draft picks and maybe Russell Westbrook. You're going to be lucky to find a team that wants to even take Russell Westbrook on the roster. I agree. They got to do something. This is a team. I'm not saying the Lakers are done for the season or anything. You can't count on a team with LeBron even at the age that he's at, year 20. They're going to have to make some moves. If they can be competitive in the standings by the time the trade deadline rolls around, throw something together, make a quick improvement. I, we saw – what was that the 2017-18 Cavs, LeBron's last year there, where they made a bunch of great trades at the deadline, and he was able – it gave him just enough that he was able to drag him to the finals. I believe it was that year, right? I mean, great trades meaning Jordan Clarkson and, like – uh, Jeff yes. Green adding to the roster, but th- those were players that helped LeBron that se- they, that those trades made sense. Maybe not great, but you're right. But but at least like good trades that were able to give LeBron just enough to get to the finals. I mean, they were never going to be talented enough to beat the Warriors that year. Now LeBron is also going to be he's five years older than he was in 2017-18. That was five. That season started five years ago, and. So maybe they make enough of those good trades that he's able to get just enough. If he puts on one last superhuman postseason performance, they're able to make some noise, make some waves. But it's going to take a lot of different factors adding up. So we'll see. I mean, if they can get a starting lineup of Patrick Beverly, Buddy Heald, LeBron, Miles Turner, and Anthony Davis, I think that's a playoff team for sure. I, yep. I, I, that solves I don't a lot of questions that, that add shooting, that add that you can move AD to the four, which this is obviously is his preferred position. He doesn't like to play the five. 
but I mean that roster that's a good roster right there and I, I hope they can do something like that yeah, and they sure. may still not have playoff depth and they're gonna have to trade away some depth if they want to make trades like that but starting five matters a lot more in the playoffs uh, than it does in a seven game series and it will over the course of a regular season 100%. so we'll see okay so uh, I'm gonna put you guys on the spot here Jason who's your early MVP pick Oh, early MVP pick. That is putting me on the spot for sure. Um, I am going to go with Joel Embiid. I believe... I like that. Yeah, I believe... Um, and once we get into our finals picks, um, that it'll, it'll kind of come together uh, why I'm picking him. But I just believe... He's at a point in his career where he's ready to, I mean, he's already in the MVP conversation. And I just think this year he gets over the hump with the team that he has around him. Uh, uh, James Harden looks like he's, um, he's bought in and fully vested and ready to go. Uh, but, you know, we've heard that before. So hopefully, uh, you know, I'm not falling you know, for another trick from him. But I just feel like with the roster that he has around him, I, I just think that he's set up to have that MVP type season. Yeah, no question. I think this is the best roster that he's played with in his career. I guess this this will be. I mean, I get, we haven't seen them play. But Sam, who is your early season MVP pick? All right. Everything in me wants to say Luka Doncic, but I don't think the Mavs are going to be able to win enough games in the regular season to have him win the award. Why I would say Luka is especially without Jalen Brunson on that Mavericks team and he's coming in in shape. We saw him play really well over, um, I can't remember if that was in Euro Euro the Eurobasket. In, in yeah. the Eurobasket, yes. Yeah, and he, so usually it comes the last two seasons, he's came in pretty out of shape and it's taken him about 20 games to get back up to that level that he plays at in the postseason. And by then, such a slow start, there's never really a real MVP case to be made. I think he's going to come in in shape this year. And like I was saying earlier, without Jalen Brunson, every play is going to be going through Luka. His usage rate is going to be sky high. I saw someone on the ringer predicted it might be the highest in NBA history this year. I don't think that's too far-fetched. He is going to put up some otherworldly stats, A, because – he's an amazing player and B because he's going to be able to have full reins of that offense, take as many shots as he wants, make as many passes as he wants, whatever he wants to do. Problem is I don't think they're going to win. I mean, he probably got to win in like 55 games really to be considered for MVP at least 50. I, I don't know if they're going to get there. So I'm going to go Giannis on the bucks. I think they have a better year than they did last year, which was still a great year. I th he's continued to put up top five MVP performances these last two years while the MVP reward has pretty much been a debate between Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. I think Giannis has a great year this year. The Bucks play really well in the regular season. I think he gets the award. I'm not mad at that. I think that's a, gr I think that's a good pick, especially with Chris Middleton out in the beginning of the season. It's going to give him a lot more looks. So I think his usage rate is going to go up. And speaking of usage rate, the last time we saw the usage rate record broken – I believe was James Harden with the Rockets. And then before that, it was Russell Westbrook with the Thunder. And the common theme with those is both of those players won MVP in that in those seasons when their usage rate was at a, a record level. And I think that we will see Luka Doncic break that usage rate record. 
And I think that I, I really don't see the Mavericks winning more than 50 games, which is definitely going to hurt his MVP case. But he is my MVP pick solely because I think he's going to average a triple-double this year. And I think if he averages a triple-double and keeps the Mavericks around the sixth seed, fifth, sixth seed, I think that it's going to be hard not to give him the award. Yeah, I agree. And when you look at that roster, that would make that would make LeBron blush when he had those guys around him in Cleveland. I mean, that that's what it reminds me of. I mean, you look at that roster and it's exactly like those early 2000 LeBron teams where he was dragging Big Z, Drew Gooden, uh, Larry Hughes up and down the floor. Mo Williams. I mean, yeah, Mo Williams. I mean, he was an all-star. Yeah, yeah, true, true. I mean, that just <laughs> thanks that, to LeBron. That speaks of you know when, how how much of an advantage it is to play with LeBron. But I mean, you look at that roster. I mean, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, uh, Hardaway. I mean, that's just not a very good roster. So Luca, but they is play good. off Luca really well. Yeah, they do. They they do, and and that's one thing you know you have to give credit to that. Uh, that uh, the coaching staff and the management, you know, uh, Mark Cuban, I mean, he's, you look at the roster and it's underwhelming, but then when you see them play together, I mean, it, it kind of works. Yeah, definitely. So that was our MVP picks, our early season MVP picks. Uh, To finish up the episode, I kind of want to pick your guys' brains on who you think the finals matchup is going to be this year. I kind of want to do this now. It's way too early, obviously, to predict something like this. But I think it would be cool to talk about it now and then revisit it uh, in a future episode once the playoffs roll around. So we'll start with you, Sam. Who did you pick to come out of the East and the West? Yeah, so I'm thinking out of the East just by nature of how good of a series they played against the eventual East champion Celtics last year. And also if Chris Middleton can stay healthy I see Giannis getting the Bucks to the finals again out of the East. And then in the West, again, big based off if their star players can stay healthy. I have the Clippers coming out. I just love how they match up with every team in the West out there like we talked about earlier. I see a Bucks clippers um, finals rematch. I Are we are we picking winners as well? Uh, you, yeah, go ahead. If you want. Okay. And and just by nature of how those two match up on paper, it's going to be billed as a big Giannis Kawhi thing, but the best way to at least attempt to defend Giannis is a team full of wings with one or two shot blockers inside. Um, and I see these Clippers being very strong there. I have the Clippers beating the Bucks this year. Obviously way too early. We'll see what happens with injuries. That could change very drastically, very quickly, but that's my pick for this year. I like it. So how about you, Jason? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with Sam out of the West. I have the Clippers coming out. I just look at that roster, and it just it, it just looks like it's made for the postseason. I mean, you've got stud defenders. You've got good shooters. Like I said, you have a championship uh, coach in Ty Lue. Uh, you know, if those guys are healthy come playoff time, I don't think anybody in the West or the East is going to want to play that team. So I got the Clippers coming out of the West. I have the Sixers. That kind of ties into my Embiid uh, for MVP prediction coming out of the East. I, I look at their roster. I'm, I really like it. I mean, adding P.J. Tucker, I think, is a huge, huge addition for them. I mean, you, you've got uh, James Harden, obviously. You've got Embiid, Tobias Harris. 
is a nice player. But the guy, the difference maker, and the guy I think who is going to step into uh, being an all-star this year is Tyrese Maxey. That guy, I, Jake knows I've been high on him ever since he's been in the league. He's averaging, I saw a stat where he's averaging a point per minute in the preseason. I mean, yeah, it's preseason. We, we all get that. He was but, tearing teams apart in the preseason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just looks like he's ready to take that next step. And I mean, if he's able to do that, James Harden is locked in. You get what you're going to get from him. And then, in, you know, an MVP type year from Joel Embiid. I think the Sixers are going to find their way into the finals. And I am going to say and agree with uh, with, with uh, what, what Sam said. I think the uh, Clippers just have too good of a roster for the Sixers. And I just think they'll, they'll end up uh, being able to edge them in the finals. So I have the Clippers over the Sixers in the NBA championship. I like that. I think... I mean, my pick out of the West is going to be the Clippers as well. I think we all agree on that. They have a team just built for the playoffs, like you mentioned. But where I was struggling to figure out uh, was the East. And as I was thinking about it, my three teams, or four teams that come out of the East, I think that have a chance to. Uh, highest to lowest, I think it's the Celtics, Bucks, Nets, 76ers. And what I made my decision based on was defense. And we saw how important defense was coming out of the East last year. The the uh, Celtics were just the best defense in the league by a mile. And it won them so many games, especially in the regular season. It put them in a position to get the first seed. Or they were the second seed, excuse me. The Heat were the first seed. And I I wanted to take the Sixers, but I just don't trust the backcourt defense with Maxie and Harden. I don't think either of those guys are guarding anyone. Uh, you can't have them on the floor together to close games defensively, which is going to be a huge problem because those are your two best guard uh, players. Yeah, so point. I ruled the 76ers out. I think the Nets... I don't. I just don't know. I don't. I got to see them play for about thirty games into the season before I I can even really say that they make the finals. I think they have a really high ceiling. They also have a very low floor. So it comes down to me is the uh, Celtics and Bucks. Now the Celtics we talked about in the last episode are down their head coach uh, Joe Mazzulla stepping in. He's one of the youngest head coaches in the league right now at thirty four. But I think he is going to do a better job than people are expecting. Maybe it'll look a little clunky in the beginning of the season while some players are out and he's also trying to manage personalities and kind of establish himself as the head coach. So, and then it's the Bucks, And I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't trust Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to be enough to get it done next to Giannis. I think they're both getting older. Drew Holiday's probably going to battle some injuries. I think he's slowing down. Uh, so I, I'm taking the reigning Eastern Conference champs, the Celtics, to get to the finals and play the Clippers. And I think these two teams are really similar when it comes to play styles. They're both great defensively. They have great defensive wings, similar play styles. But I think when it comes to the finals, Celtics versus Clippers, if this is what happens, I think coaching is what ends up taking it. I think Tyron Lue has been here. He's been itching to get back to the finals, and I think he's going to be able to do what it takes to lead the Clippers to a championship. So... I have the Clippers in six against Boston in the finals, and that's my prediction. So it's nice. going to be fun to kind of look back at our uh, takes here uh, when May rolls around, April, May rolls around when the playoffs start. Yeah, see how inevitably, you know, things change and we end up picking wrong, whatever happens. I will say, not that I'm picking the Heat to make the finals, obviously, but the obnoxious Heat fan in me does have to say I wouldn't be shocked. We each picked a different team out of the East, the Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics. 
wouldn't be shocked if one of those teams is knocked out of the playoffs by Miami. So we'll see. Oh, yeah, as a, I, I as expect a, one of those teams to get knocked out by Miami, yeah, honestly. As a, <laughs> as a Heat fan, uh, Sam has to love the fact that none of us picked the Heat. So, that, I mean, that, that, that's got to be reassuring for him. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the that's the way that this uh, the team that's currently set up. That's the way they like to play. We'll talk about the Heat another day. Um, I'm just thankful. I got a big exam tomorrow morning, so I can't watch the games too closely tonight. I'll have to stick to mostly highlights. But the Heat don't play till tomorrow night, so I'll have all the time in the world to watch them play the Bulls tomorrow. Nice. That'll be a good game. And I think that about wraps up episode two of Tough Buckets. Thank you guys for listening, and be sure to leave a rating on the podcast. That means a lot and definitely helps us out a lot. Uh, also, another announcement, I'm ordering some wristbands, uh, some customized wristbands that say Tough Buckets on them. They're the lavender color of the podcast art, and they have some cool graphics on them. So I'm ordering 50 of them. I'm going to give some to you guys, and uh, anyone that listens to the show, if you reach out to me, uh, I can get you a wristband too. So that's my final announcement, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you guys in the next one.